Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest in Mr. Andy Talone of CCI Investments. Before we dive in, would you mind leaving me a quick review on iTunes? This helps us get more listeners and means the absolute world to me. Thank you for taking the time to do that. All right, let's dive in. Andy is the vice president of CCI Investments. He started his real estate career at the young age of 22 back in 1977 and never looked back. CCI Investments currently manages uh, over 50 mobile home parks out of California and they have turned around over 300 mobile home parks. Andy is the owner and developer of mobilehomeparksforsale.com. There's some dashes in there, uh, but he's also the author of the self-published book, An Insider's Guide to Investing in Mobile Home Parks. Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Awesome, man. I am excited to learn about your story. I've seen your name around the, the business for, for some time now. Can you start out by telling our listeners a little about your background and how in the world you got into mobile home parks? Well, as you say, I started uh, in real estate, actually in Silicon Valley, just as the beginning of the uh, tech boom in 19, late 70s, uh, sold houses for many years, uh, moved around the real estate industry, sold land, commercial, recreational real estate. I bought my first mobile home park in 2004 in Modesto, California. And the listing agent was the fellow I work for today, Robert Merchant, the president of CCI. Uh, I bought another park from him. We became friends. We started working together in 2006. I joined the company at a time when it was just Robert and his secretary. And since that time, we've grown the business to a point where we have an office full of people now in our Oakdale, California office running right now. The count is 53 parks in 15, 16 states. Um, and over the years, we've turned around literally hundreds of mobile home parks. What makes us unique is that we manage, we run almost every park that, that we sell. And our focus is on operations. I'm a broker here in California. Uh, so is Robert. But outside California, we're not functioning as brokers. We're not licensed anywhere else. We are mobile home park consultants. And as such, we focus on the operational side of the business which is what people seem to need the most help with. It's not that hard to find a realtor to sell you a mobile home park, but what do they do at close of escrow? Their job is done and they walk away. Uh, now it's up to you to figure out how to make that, that park work for you. So that's what we bring to the table. When we work with clients outside of California, most usually these days, they bring us a park that they found online somehow or through some other means, and they need help evaluating it, um, doing the due diligence, <clears throat> getting it financed, and then ultimately running it. And since most of the parks we see today are have some kind of an upside uh, aspect to them, they need help getting that done. You know, everybody talks about up, uh, upside. Well, you got you to physically get that out. And that's what we do. I think we're the only people I know of anyway, who you can hire to turn your mobile home park around. Wow. And I am so excited to have you on the show because I want to learn all about that. Because that is really the elbow grease that it takes, right? I mean, 
I think from my time in the business, it's not a very complex business, right? There's vacant lots, put homes on the vacant lots, get them sold uh, or rented. And, you know, then you, you go about your business. Uh, but it is, it is difficult. It takes a lot of persistence and maybe you can uh, shed some light on that. Uh, so you bought your first park in 2004. How many parks do you guys own now? I myself own three parks right now. Uh, Robert probably owns, I'm going to say 10 or 11, but the bulk of the business that we do, the vast majority of the parks that we're running are for our clients or not for ourselves. And, you know, I get asked this, I just got asked recently, well, why don't you take all the best deals for yourself? Uh, Robert, my boss is adamant that we can't do that. In fact, we have a sign that sits behind his office desk that says we never get in front of the customer. So I sold one of my properties here recently. I'm in an exchange and you know what kind of pressure that puts on you in a normal market, let alone in a market like today. So there were two parks that we had in our mix that I was eyeing for myself, but I couldn't get a, a shot at them until we put them out to everybody on our client list. And we did that. Nobody jumped. And so I got my shot. And so rather than us, Creaming the deal and everyone else gets the leftovers. We're the one who get the leftovers. You get but the leftovers. We still make okay. that work and they work well for me. And, you know, these parks are going to perform very well for me. Very nice. Andy, what do you think is the toughest hurdle for most operators in mobile home park ownership? The toughest hurdle. Well, it's all, you know, everything boils down to operations in this business. You know, I, I tell people most other types of real estate are asset based you know you buy a house as a rental property everyone knows what the house is worth it's a house you buy an apartment building it's an expensive improvement to that property compare that to a mobile home park if you take the mobile homes off of it it's nothing but cheap dirt and some underground utilities you know the parks don't get their value from the improvements as much as from the income the net income that they produce and that all comes down to operations so management operations is everything in this business, even more so than in other asset classes. The on-site manager, the guy who's living and working in your park and, and doing that work every day, he's the key to this whole thing. But someone's got to manage that guy. You know, we don't pay him enough to where we're likely going to get a rocket scientist. You know, we're, we've got to get people that are willing to do this work, that have the skills that we need, and you know, honest and people skills and all the other things that they need. But they also need management and supervision. And that's where a lot of self-managing park owners fall short. The, ma the on-site manager will always be on his best behavior when you're talking to him. When you go there to see the park on your due diligence trip, he's going to look like the greatest person you ever met. He's trying really hard to convey that image. But then when you go back home and you're a thousand miles away, well, you know, what these managers do, and I'm not putting them down, I'm not even saying this is anything more than human nature. People adapt, and your managers will very quickly get your number, and they'll figure out what you like to hear and what you never want to hear, and what you check and what you don't check. And I tell people, the first time you tell your manager to do something and you don't check and verify that it was done and done right, you're literally training him that you have a blind spot. And before long, he'll be driving a truck through that blind spot. You know, it gets bigger and bigger. The more that they get away with, the more they'll try to get away with. And 
ultimately, and I'm not talking about the dishonest ones here, the honest, good, hardworking people, and, and that's what most of them are, will simply revert to whatever their default position is. They have a certain way of doing things. It may not be the best thing for you, but that's the way they're going to do it when you're not there. And what we have to do, we have a way of doing this that is very exacting. We have a very specific way we want these things done. And so we've got to provide the leadership to that on-site manager that he needs and support and oversight and verification. We verify mm -hmm. almost everything that they tell us as, as much as is possible. And of course, we're running park. We're in California. We're running parks in New York, the Carolinas, Georgia, you know, 3,000 miles away. And so you've got to have good systems in place to track the activity and to verify. And you've got to have the people to do it. What I have found yeah. is that most park owners are smart people. They're making a lot of money somewhere else. And this is one of their investments. They want to be passive. This is not a business where you can get the results and be passive. You have to, someone has to be on it, whether it's you, the park owner, or someone that you hire to do it for you. And all we do is mobile home parks. We don't do anything else. So we're highly specialized. And that's our job to get that done, make that park run tight. And I, I, uh, I want to preface this. We've had some previous episodes on third-party management companies. And, you know, I would say that the overwhelming majority have said that, you know, the third-party management companies that they've had just dropped the ball you know, on one or two occasions, right? And I would just like to hear from you, you know, kind of what the perfect park looks like that would fit inside of CCI investments management, you know, from some of the other groups, it needed to be a hundred lots or more so that the income coming in could afford the management fees. Um, maybe you could, you know, pinpoint that for us. Well, it's all about operations. What, what we specialize in is the park owned home model. Most people in this business see park owned homes and they run the other way. Uh, mm -hmm. we believe in park-owned homes. We think it's the best way to make money in this business. You're going to make more money with park-owned homes than renting lots as a general rule. There are exceptions, of course. Here in California, where I'm from, where you can get five, $800 a month space rent, there's no real reason to rent mobile homes. But in most of the rest of the country, now we do a lot of business in the South. I mean, to say the Southeast, uh, the Midwest, most of the what we would call flyover states, space rents about 200 bucks a month. And it's really hard to make a lot of money at 200 bucks a pop. So we had to devise a system uh, that made sense for park-owned homes. Everyone's concerned with the maintenance on the park-owned homes. They'll walk away from the money because they don't want to deal with the maintenance. And I use as kind of an illustration of this, uh, a call that I got several years ago now from a gentleman in Texas. And I'm going to use round numbers to make the, it a little simpler. Uh, he says, I've got a hundred space park I want to buy in Texas. It's uh, all full of park owned homes, a hundred park owned homes paying 500 a month. What I want you to do talking to us is to convert all those people to tenant owned homes. I don't want the maintenance. I said, well, let's look at this for a minute. You got a hundred people paying you five, $100 a month, that's $50,000 a month in income. Now, let's say you get your wish and we sell them all to the tenants on some rent to own or a time payment plan or whatever. 
Now you're not getting 500 rent anymore. You're getting 300 trailer payment and $200 space rent. Everything's good. But you get your wish again. And in three or four years, these people start paying you off. Now you're going down to just $200 a month space rent times 100 spaces. That's $20,000 a month instead of $50,000 a month. So you're literally leaving $30,000 a month because you don't want to maintain those trailers. So let's look at that for a moment. Now at that time, this has been a few years ago, our rule of thumb for the cost of owning mobile homes as rentals was about a thousand per year per home. And that's not just maintenance and repair. You got to put a tag on it every year. You just like you do on your car, you have to insure it. So it was about a thousand dollars a year. Today it's about 1200, what with inflation and so forth. But in this example, it was $1,000 per year per home. So, so that's 100,000 a year to maintain these 100 homes. That's roughly 8,000 a month. So you're giving up 30,000 income to save 8,000 in maintenance costs. You're leaving $22,000 on the table. Now 22,000 times 12 is $244,000 in a year which, what is that worth? That, that run, drops right to the bottom line, by the way, because we'd already taken the costs of owning those homes out. So that's literally 244,000 on your NOI. What is that worth? Well, at a 10 cap, it's worth two point, almost $2.5 million. At an eight cap, it's worth like $3.3 .3 million. So I told this gentleman, I don't think you can afford to do this. You know, you're gonna give up $3 million in property value and a quarter million dollars a year all for the sake of not maintaining the homes. And you're not going to do it anyway. We're going to do that part for you. You know, we'll take care of all that. All you'll do is get the reports. So this is, this I is love it. I love it. I mean, I, let me step in because I've done exactly what that gentleman was doing uh, a few times now where we've converted them to tenant owned. And I, I just wanted to, you know, I guess there's five reasons why I prefer part. I prefer tenant owned homes versus park owned homes. And maybe you can share you know, a rebuttal on each, but when you, when you have an apartment complex, you know, the turnover is something that is, you know, can, can really impact you, right. You're going to have some vacancy there and so forth. So in a flat apartment complex, right. Like a, a park owned home community, I would assume the turnover probably is a little bit more because the tenant base is a little more fragile. So maybe it's 40 to 50% per year. Is that accurate? Or do you have uh, better insights on that? that better number well it can be that high but generally speaking it's not that high you have to realize that in the types of parks that we do and what we're interested in most is making money you know some people want these beautiful five-star parks it's hard to make much money with those i always ask i them, think the thing about the those andy is is financing that's a, that's another one of my reasons is like you know it's it's a, a beautiful five-star park that can get really good financing on them that's another reason it's like you know, Fannie Mae, I think they want 25% or less park-owned homes right. in order to get the best financing available for mobile home parks. So right. that's probably why they want those, those parks like that. But yeah, that's, go ahead. That's certainly a, a very valid point. No question about it. Uh, you're going to get better financing if you have a park like that, five-star park, four-star park. The thing is, my point is to buy a park like that, they're fairly expensive and you're going to get a probably a, a lower cap rate just because they're in such high demand with institutional buyers and so forth. Uh, our goal because the financing is, is 
the interest rates lower typically. Oh yes, it is. That's right. But enough to make up the difference. I, I, I don't think so. I mean, you're going to pay a lot more for that, that park. You're going to have it at a lower cap rate and yes, you get better financing, no question about it, but you can get good financing now on parks with park owned homes. I'm buying a park myself in Arizona right now. It's almost all park owned homes and the lender I'm using counts the income and the value of the homes. So, hmm. uh, it's just a matter of getting the right lender. We work with a, a small group of lenders who understand parks. But again, you're not going to get that preferential. I get people that say, well, I want no recourse financing. Well, that's what you're talking about there, that A-list kind of uh, financing that you get when you have these beautiful dream parks. The reality is that most people that we work with anyway are not that kind of buyer. I mean, you need a lot of money and you need to be willing to take a low return to get parks like that. Our goal and our client's goal is to figure out how to make as much money as they can in the mobile home park business. And we have found that the best way to do that is with what we call working class parks. They're not trash, but they're also not four and five star parks. They're, they have no amenities. Amenities just cost you money. You know, I, I owned a 80 space gated park in Sacramento for many years at a pool, nothing but a pain, you know, a magnet for trouble, uh, maintenance nightmare, uh, state constantly regulating, making you do all kinds of things because of the pool and all these other things. Mm -hmm. We had a laundry room, machines breaking, you know, homeless people sleeping in it. I mean, everything you can think of. Uh, the parks we have today generally don't have amenities to speak of. Most mobile homes today have their own washer and dryer. Uh, we, we don't really want all the extra headaches. It doesn't make you any more money having those things. It just costs you more and in, in many ways. So and I agree. And we don't have those either in our parks. Oh, good. And, you know, and, and one thing I would comment. So on your Arizona park, you said it's recourse financing, but like what kind of debt, what kind of terms do you get on something like that? I've, I haven't explored. I'm going to be at about so 5% 30-year AM. I'm putting 35% okay. uh, down. 35% down. Okay. That's, and, that's uh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's going good. through the Madison Group actually, and that is nice. a, a group of lenders that understands the park business. So nice. And then how uh, how long is that fixed for? Is that like uh, five, five years? Year? Five, five years. years. Okay. Very yeah. nice. And then to go back to the park on homes, I had a couple other things I'd love your your insights on. You know, the thousand dollars a year or twelve hundred a year per home. You know, I. From my experience, it's been more than that. And I'm sure it's different per park, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but don't you, are, are, does that include the labor to have like a full-time maintenance guy? Is that part of the, you know, the strategy? Going to depend on the size of the park. You know, a lot of the parks mm -hmm. we, we do are 30 to 50 spaces. Most of those can be done with one guy. The manager can do the maintenance and so forth. The key okay. to keeping these costs down with park-owned homes is quarterly inspections and move in mm -hmm. and out inspections. So what most people do, and the reason that park-owned homes have a bad rep is because someone will move a tenant into their park-owned home and never go in there again until they move out four years later. And then it turns out it's had a roof leak for the last three years and you got a $5,000 framing job. We go in every three months, we take the list of park-owned homes. Let's say you've got 30 homes in your park that are park-owned. We're gonna go into 10 a month. And by month four, we're starting over. And the manager will 
uh, do that maintenance in real time. So if we find a roof leak or something, he gets right out there on the ladder with some snow seal and a paint roller. And for a hundred bucks, 150 bucks, we've solved that problem before it caused too much damage. Um, tenants That's are hard on yeah. mobile homes. So going in every quarter and they know that they're coming in, they number one, tend to take better care of the home because they know they're going, you know, there's someone coming in in the next three months, but number two, if they're not taking care of it, we spot it early. Uh, soft spots in the floor, plumbing leaks. These are the kinds of things you run into a lot with mobile homes, leaky doors and windows. And so you want to catch these things early. And every three months has, has worked well for us. And it allows us to keep our costs down. Some of these homes won't hardly cost anything. Others will cost, you know, a lot more. Um, if you had one park-owned home and the heater went out, well, obviously you'd bust the averages. But if you have sure. 20 or 30 homes, some won't need anything. Others will need more. And it all averages out pretty well today. It's about 1200. It's going up fast with costs these days. It'll yeah. probably be up to 1500 a year before long. But right now we're taking about a hundred dollars off each month for the cost of maintaining that home. And one yeah. thing that I've noticed also, Andy, is that, you know, a lot of people don't realize that mobile homes don't have the same size drywall. They don't have the same size doors. They don't have the same size windows, you know? So you can't just go to Home Depot and get this stuff. You got to order it from, you know, a, a bigger distributor typically. And it can, you know, it, it just costs more money, right? Especially with logistics, you know, costing more nowadays. So that's some of the reasons that maintenance piece is, you know, is a make or break, you know, based on the condition of the homes you're getting, you know? And I just, one thing about the tenant owned homes, you know, I like to think, someone made this analogy. They said, you know, it's like a rental car. You know, how do you treat a rental car versus your own car? Right. You know, uh, I just think when people have their own car in their own home, they maintain it better. They want it to look better and they stay put longer. So that's some of the reasons why we like the tenant owned home model, but uh, well, I'm open to be if, swayed. If it's a choice, and that's what it comes down to. It's, it, it, is there really a choice there? Can you find a park today in today's market that has tenant owned homes that has the kind of return you're looking for and all the other bells and whistles that you want in a park. Very, very hard to find today. It's getting people, harder by the day, I would agree. Is. I have people come to me all the time, how do you find parks? Well, then I find out what they're looking for, you know, uh, sort of like when they have the, uh, the mobile home uh, university down in Southern California. I can always tell when they've had one because my phone will ring off the hook for about five or 10 days, everyone asking for exactly the same thing. I'm looking yeah. for a, a, a park in a metro center with 100,000 or better, no well or septic, no park owned homes, got to be an eight cap. And I said, well, you, let me guess, you know, you went to the, the boot camp. Well, yeah, how do you know? Well, you're the 10th guy today looking for the same thing. <laughs> uh, what you're going to have to do ultimately is expand your scope a little bit if you want to buy a mobile home park today. Now, you can get lucky. It happens. But luck is a hard thing to count on. You know, more than likely, you're going to find a park that's not in a metro center of 100,000. It might have well or septic. There may be some park owned homes. Vacancies, vacancies are the pathway to upside. You can't. That's where the upside comes from is from vacancies. So a lot some of the people things are paying for those those vacant lots now. What's that? You know, some people are even paying for the oh, vacant sure lots. They are. Sure they are. And sometimes they're not. We just did a, a 200 space park in Selma, Alabama for a million one. Okay, wow. that's like $5,500 a space if you want to count it like that. But 105 of them are vacant, you know, spaces. Mm. Uh, the rest of them are, 
a combination of park-owned homes and tenant-owned homes, many of which need to be fixed. So you don't get deals like that unless they have a little hair on them. This one sure, had seller sure. financing too, with just a hundred grand down. So wow. uh, let's talk. Let's talk is, before we get off track, let's talk yeah. expense ratios. You know, on a park-owned home park, what is your typical expense ratio? I'm assuming you know fifty percent. Is that well? The ideal that everybody shoots for is about thirty-five percent. Uh, on a park-owned, fully park-owned home park. Well, here's, here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. Park-owned homes bring in five or six times as much income as they cost. So if you look at a typical park-owned home, today we're buying used park-owned homes and dropping them in our parks for around between 20 and 30 grand all in, ready to go. Um, that's in the South now, not, not in all parts of the country. We do most of our business in the South and in the Midwest. Um, so you... Um, you can run that, that park might, I mean, that home might bring in $600 a month and might cost you $100 a month again. That's our, our kind of our paradigm. So that's what, about 17% expense ratio thereabouts on that home, okay, on just that one home. You already have the park, you already got your manager, you're already paying your insurance and all the other stuff. Now you drop this home in. Your park's running at, let's say, 40% expense ratio. You start buying a bunch of these park-owned homes and dropping them in. They cost you 100 a month, but they're bringing in 600 a month. So they're at 17%. You drop enough 17% mobile homes into your 40% park, the 40% ratio actually begins to come down because it's a ratio of expenses versus income. And so if you bring in enough income, way more than the, than the cost, then obviously the ratio comes down. Sure. So uh, I don't want to say they're necessarily lower, a lower ratio than a tenant-owned home, but they a tenant-owned park, but they could be, they and they're certainly be. not as bad as people think. You're going to spend okay. more in dollars fixing those homes, but ideally less as a percentage of your income. That brings about my next question, because I know you're a fan of used homes versus new homes. So maybe you can elaborate on why that is and uh, share that with the listeners. All comes down to bang for the buck. You know, we, until just recently, our average in the South was we could pick up a used home for between, oh, and we're talking single wides now, 3,500 to 8,000 bucks. By the time you break it down where it's at, move it, set it up in your park, you know, block it, level it, put skirting in stairs, hook it up, get it rent ready. We were somewhere between 15 and 20 grand. The demand for homes now is so much higher because mobile homes are red hot now and people are trying to do what we do. They want to fill up their parks. So the, the pressure on used homes and new homes is much higher today. It's getting harder to find. It takes longer to get and you're going to have to pay more. So today we're assuming more between 20 and 30 grand in the South to get a used home in there. Now, a new home, I can tell you that I put 21 brand new homes in one of my parks in Georgia my own personal park, um, ordered the first ones in very late 2019. They started showing up just as COVID hit in 2020. Oh, uh, I was paying $34,000. This is a 16 by 60, which is just about 960 square feet, just shy of a thousand square feet, three bedroom, two baths, central heat and air, nicely optioned. You know, I, I optioned up the kitchens and the bathrooms and put ceiling fans and a bigger water water heater and things like that, you know, not over improving, but important stuff. And I was getting them for about 34 grand a piece. Uh, by the time we had moved them and installed them, I ran about 40 grand. 
Now, this is at the same time when we were still putting used homes in for 20 grand. So I'm renting a used home in that park for 500 to 550. I'm renting a brand new home in that park for around 700. So it costs twice as much for the new home, but you're not going to get twice the rent. You'll maybe get 20, 25% more rent, but you're paying twice as much for the home. The other disadvantage. Huh? I think my one comment on that would be, you know, will that used home last, <laughs> you know, beyond 10 years, right? Are you going to have to tear that used home to, out and bring in another used home in 10 years? I don't want to say anything bad about the manufacturer, but these homes I've had nothing but trouble with. Doors improperly installed, leaky roofs, uh, air conditioning that don't work. Uh, and now I'm past my one-year warranty on those new homes and I'm fixing this stuff. So the idea of buying new homes and being problem-free, it's a nice thought, you know, and, and there are probably some manufacturers somewhere that do a great job, but my, my opinion and from the information I've gathered from other people is that it's just the way it is with these new homes. They throw them together quick. They've got such demand. Now, right now, that same home that I was paying $34,000 for, the, the client who bought the Selma Park, Selma, Alabama, he's buying, he's trying to buy the same homes that I was buying. I was getting them in eight weeks. They're now 18 months and they're $48,000. They went up 40% in two years. The demand is so high, labor shortages, supply chain shortages. I mean, if they've got a bunch of homes on the, on the assembly line and they can't get the water heaters or they can't get the windows, that's it. Those homes are, are going to sit there until they do. So all of these things are conspiring to make it harder to get new homes uh, and more expensive and take longer. And uh, that drives the demand for used homes up. Some people are forced into the used market because they can't wait that long for a new home or pay that much for them. And so uh, they're, they're going out there and, you know, this used home market used to be ours. I mean, we used to go and have Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, there were used mobile homes everywhere. And now it's getting really, really tough to find them. We have bird dogs all through the South, just looking for homes for us. And we pay them a, a little bird dog fee when they find a home that we buy. And it's tough. It's, 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 tough. it's not yeah. as easy as it was. Let me put it that we, way. We own mainly in the Midwest. And yeah, it's gotten a lot tougher you know, to find used yeah. homes. Uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And how crazy, yeah. I mean. So again, it's all about new... making money for us. This is a cash flow business. We, we, we've learned through practical means by doing it, trying different things and seeing what works, that the best way to make money is used homes and owning the homes. That's, that's okay. our conclusion. We can do it other ways. If somebody yeah, there's more homes, than one way to, to skin a cat, for sure. Um, yeah. I, I agree. Tell me, what mistakes have you guys made in uh, mobile home park and investing and managing? And how could our, you know, something that our listeners can learn on, learn from? Some towns are too small, you know, uh, when, when we say we're, we're, not against, we're not against small towns. Out of the 50 plus parks we're running right now, I'd say at least 40 of them are in towns smaller than you've probably ever heard of. And mm -hmm. we do fine in, in most of these, these small towns do fine because there are fewer people, but there are fewer housing choices. When we do our rent surveys and, and our rent research in these various areas before we move in there, Sometimes we can't find anything else to compare it to. <clears throat> you know, there are no other mobile home parks in that area. There are very few low-cost apartment alternatives. In many of these smaller towns, you'll have 
apartments will be like Section 8 with a year-long waiting list, all full. Uh, and so the demand is, is high. I mean, obviously, it's not as high as it would be in a big city, but it doesn't need to be. You know, most of our pro forma plans are not overly blue sky. We want to keep them down to earth, keep the, the numbers where they're attainable, almost no matter what happens. If we can rent one, two, or three a month, our plans will work. We don't have to yeah, set the great. world on fire to do what we're doing. Yeah. You know, if you're filling um, up a 40 or 50 space park and you've got 10 vacant homes, as fast as we can get them done, someone will be there to rent them. And, and how do you perform that out? You know, how many homes can you bring in in a year? Well, that's a tricky question now. It's hard to say because right now everything's changing so fast and not in a good way. Um, we used to figure up to two years ago, we figured we could probably pretty easily buy one used home a month. And again, I'm being conservative. We, we've bought groups of homes sometimes. You'll have a park that's, that's upgrading their homes or, or closing or whatever. And we'll end up with eight or 10 homes at a, at a great price. So sometimes it'll surprise us, but we don't want to count on that. So we, we've always, up until recently, figured we could do one used home a month. New homes used to be easy to order, you know, a few weeks. That as many as you want, you know, once, once the pipelines open, it's, there's that, that initial period where you have to wait for them to build that first batch of homes. But from then on, you could get them almost as fast as you want. Things yeah. are changing now. Uh, it, it's, it's tougher to predict. What we yeah. do when we're talking about, so right now, the, the, the pro forma plans that make the most sense for us and for the kind of clients that, that come to us um, are parks that have a lot of vacant park-owned homes that have fallen into disrepair. Then you don't have to worry about buying homes. The homes are already there. They just need to be fixed. Instead of spending 20 or 30 grand buying a used home to put into a space, we spend on average between about five and $8,000 fixing them up. A twelve to a fifteen thousand dollar fix is a big fix for us. We just don't we don't spend that much money on them. We have our own crews who just work on mobile home parks for us and for our clients who know exactly what to do. You don't want to over improve them. You know, I've had clients who say, "No, no, I wouldn't do it that way. I want new kitchen cabinets. I want new fixtures. I want new this, new that, new bathrooms, all this." And a year from now, it'll look like it did before we put the new stuff in. You know, so. It makes more sense to fix what's there as much as can be and take good care of it. And through quarterly inspections and the ongoing maintenance, we do that. And yeah, we take good care of our tenants too. So that's a valuable, valuable thing yeah. that we provide to our tenants. When they call, we're there, we get our stuff taken care of. As long as they're paying the rent and obeying the rules, we take really good care of our tenants. That's great. Yeah, the quarterly inspections is a great tip uh, for, for park-owned homes. And then if you have a maintenance crew that you could just send somewhere, you know, all throughout the South, I mean, that's a huge help. It's just been tough for us to find good handyman type that will work on mobile homes because general contractors and more legit outfits, they're busy, right? And they don't want to work on mobile homes. They want to work on, you know, single family homes. So do you and have any tips expensive. on, they're too expensive. expensive. Yeah. Do you have any, do you have any tips on finding good, uh, you know, contractors that work on mobile homes? Well, you know, we have an economy of scale working for us. As an example, we run in 11 parks in Mississippi. We have nine in and around Columbus, Mississippi. So you get to know people when you're doing that much business there. And these people sort of came to us. And uh, my boss, Robert Merchant, the president of CCI, he's from that area. 
So he had a lot of connections to begin with. And that's where it all started for us once we broke out of California, it was in Mississippi and it sort of flowed out from there. A lot of our crews that travel all over the country uh, are from that area. Uh, and they're, you know, they've worked for us for a while. We take really good care of them. Um, they travel. They'll, they'll typically move into, let's say you had a park with 15 vacant park-owned homes in it. They'll, the point man, the, the supervisor of that crew will go out first and bid those homes. And then he'll come back. He'll bring the crew back. He will have already picked out the best trailer of the vacant ones to, that they can move into, and they'll fix that one first. And that saved the owner on hotel and motel room expenses, uh, which is normally what you have to do if a crew travels. So they'll move into the best home of the lot, fix that up first, and they'll just stay there for the entire project and blow out all those other homes. And then when they're done, they'll you know put a few finishing touches on the one they were staying in, and then they'll move on to the next project. And uh, we keep them busy. Smart. Yeah, that's really smart. Uh, Andy, let me ask you this. What are the most important things that passive investors, you know, we're talking limited partners here. What are the most important things that they need to look out for when investing into mobile home parks in, in your eyes? Well, obviously you have to do your due diligence. Um, in, the, in the types of parks that we do, a lot of the sellers aren't terribly financially sophisticated. You know, when you get into the higher end five-star parks and so forth, they've got professional management. They're probably using a software program like rent manager or something. But when you are dealing with the ma and pa sellers are often, you know, doing their books on QuickBooks or, I mean, I've literally gotten, the only thing they have is a rent roll and it's in a spiral notebook and they write it every month, you know? So you have, you have decisions to make on a deal like that. You know, are, are you gonna take his word or what? Then it kind of comes down to instinctual. You know, we look at those parks and we've looked at so many, we can kind of tell if it's probably making that kind of money or not. Uh, so obviously due diligence is critical. Um, the bottom line again in this business is always comes down to management. Who's going to do it? Uh, the, the problem that we run into is that a lot of these people that are investing today are really, really smart people. We're in Northern California, so we get a ton of clients out of Silicon Valley. And these people are naturally analytical. They, they really want to dig in and they want to get in and, and do it. And, they, and they're, they're smart. They know they can do anything. The problem is they're probably too busy to do this. You know, they've got their career. They've got their family, their home, their life. Maybe they got a dog, a hobby. Uh, you need to be on this all the time. You know, as soon as the manager, the on-site manager figures out that you're not looking you know, he starts getting looser and looser until finally he's the one making the decisions on this big investment of yours. Um, you got to either be willing to do it yourself and do it right, which most people simply probably won't do. I can tell you, I ran my first three parks myself and I didn't do as good a job as my staff does today. I don't run any of my stuff anymore. I don't even want to do it. Uh, so uh, you got to get somebody who, who knows what they're doing. And a lot of people will simply go online and they'll find a local property manager, you know, uh, for that community that might be good, but they'll run your single family, they'll run your strip mall, they'll run your self storage. And if you have a mobile home park, they'll run that. And they'll run it the same way as they run all their other stuff. And they're not the same. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a whole lot of moving parts in a mobile home park. And you've got to be on that. Now, um, yeah. and I think a lot of people are stuck in these 
in these in this old thinking that I, I can't have well, I can't have septic, I can't have a small town, I can't have park-owned homes, and they put themselves in a little box where it's so hard to find a decent park, and if they're set on buying one, they'll make compromises, maybe the wrong type of compromises, and buy a park that perhaps they shouldn't have because it's the only one they could find with city water and sewer. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of that happen over the years. You got to look at everything with an open mind. That's, that's the way I, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, that's a good tip. That'll probably piggyback on the next question. What does the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes, Andy, and why? I'm kind of buying the perfect mobile home park right now in Arizona. There's very few tenant-owned homes. And I, don't get me wrong. I'd love to have a park with tenant-owned homes where everybody took care of their thing and paid the rent and all that. I just haven't found one that I can afford that makes the kind of money that I want to make. Uh, so we have tenant-owned homes with a good manager, you know, good infrastructure. Okay. That's one thing that I can't stress enough. You really got to look at the infrastructure. That's something I should have brought up when you asked me before. Uh, infrastructure is everything. You don't want to have a park. You have to spend money on water pipes or sewer pipes. That doesn't make you a dime. You want to put your money into fixing homes or adding homes. That's where you make, you make money on that. So buying a park where I just got back from Mississippi and looked at a park that we're doing there. And there are hundreds of dead pine trees there and they're falling on trailers. And they're falling on power lines. And so you've got a huge tree service job that has to be done in that park before you can even think about fixing homes and everything. We had one fell right through the back bedroom of a home in that oh, park. Geez. So, um, you know, things like that. And then they've got drainage problems. If you get other parks that have old pipes underground. And one of the things we look for in our due diligence is anomalies in things like the water bill. You know, if you got a water bill that's going along nice and normal and all of a sudden it spikes, that probably means there's a water leak. And if there's one water leak, there could be several water leaks. You know, mm -hmm. and if you've got pipes that are at a point where they're going to start leaking, they don't leak in just one place. They'll leak all over the place. And the only real solution is digging the whole park up and putting in new water lines, which is incredibly expensive. You, you don't want to be that guy to buy that park. You know, so infrastructure is it could be the killer in, in one of these deals. Um, so that's something we look very closely at. Uh, if you get and, a park with good infrastructure, on that, could someone pay CCI to come out and do the due diligence on an acquisition they're looking at? Is that part of your consulting well, that's services? That's part of what we do. Okay. What we sell is a, is a package of services, it's the whole bailiwick. Okay. It starts, let's say you bring me a park you find online. Uh, it starts with a free evaluation, okay? You see all kinds of stuff online. Some of it isn't what it's being represented to be. So we'll go through it as quickly as we can. You can't waste time. If it's a good deal, you got to get right on it. If it looks good, we recommend you go forward. We can help figure out how it's going to get financed. We'll help make sure that the contract is right relative to things you need to have in a mobile home park contract. We'll do all the due diligence, including a trip out to the park. Uh, our last step of due diligence is to create a written plan for the park, a two-part plan, an operational plan, which is how the park will be run, how we think it should be run, and a, a turnaround plan, assuming it's an upside deal, and what would that look like? Then we tailor that plan to the investor. Uh, at the end, he's got to like the plan, and we've got to like the plan. If he wants a plan that we don't think is feasible, or he doesn't like what we say we can do, 
that's a good reason maybe to consider not buying that park. You know, there could be something there. Uh, then we help them get ready to close, which is, uh, you know, LLC, EIN, get your bank account set up. We have to wrap our arms around that, that park if we're not running it now because we want to hit the ground running on day one. And then when you close escrow, we take over full management. I mean, everything. And, uh, and we start on the turnaround plan at the pace that the investor wants us to go. So it's a full range of services. Uh, we don't really parcel it out. Uh, we're, there's only so much of us to go around. And due diligence takes a lot of time, usually takes a trip on my part or on, on one of our staff's part. And it doesn't make sense for us to just do that part of it. Uh, we've done that in the past for people and they, they don't do what we tell them to do and the pro project isn't maybe successful. They come to us later and say, hey, I've been running it myself, it's all messed up, can you fix it? My kind of rule of thumb is it takes about a year to mess them up and about a year to fix them. You know, Some people take two years to mess them up and it takes two years to fix them. You lose two, three years of valuable time there in that project and a lot of times it's because they don't want to pay for offsite management. They, they think they're, hey, I'm a smart guy. I, you know, I'm in electronics, whatever it is, I can do anything, but it doesn't work out well for them. And then they bring us in to kind of clean up after the fact. And even assuming all that goes well, they've lost all that valuable time. So we, we try to encourage people to just let us do the whole thing. It's not that much. Our consulting fee is due at close of escrow on any deal that we get involved in. If the escrow doesn't close, they don't owe the money other than my travel. I have to get my travel back. Um, and we're, our minimum fee today is 50,000 bucks. Uh, it could be more. The Selma project, we're going to be working on that for the next two or three years. That was a $100,000 consulting fee. Even though it was only a million one, right? Some people say, oh, that's almost 10% of the sales price. It's not about the sales price. We're not acting as brokers getting a commission based on the sales price. There was already a realtor involved in that. We are the, the people who are going to make all this stuff happen. And we have to be paid to render this service and it could be a small price but it could still be a big job so sure. it's not re related to the price so that's how we get paid there um again 50 grand is our minimum if that's too big a fee for someone it's probably too small a project for us we can deliver a lot of value but if it's a too small a park too small a project it's hard to justify that cost I, i'm the first one to say it but in a larger yeah. project with a lot of upside, there's no, there's no better way to go. Then the other way we get paid is a monthly fee. It's a flat fee to run the park. Uh, it generally these days is running between 600 and $1,000 a month. Again, if it's a big project with a lot of moving parts, it could be more. Smaller project might be less, but it's a simple flat fee. And that's the only two ways that we get paid. Uh, most people in this business mark up the mobile homes when they, you know, if you had a park and somebody was, managing for you and finding homes they almost always mark those homes up we don't do that you're going to pay just what that was um same thing with our laborers you know our crews we don't mark them up either they're, they're going to charge what they charge and you're going to pay them uh we don't make any money there so it's all about the consulting fee for us and and the monthly and that's yeah. how no i think that sounds do. fair yeah that sounds really fair i mean you know some of the other third-party management companies they charge you know i've heard like around I think uh, 
seven to seven to ten percent right. of gross, and then there's like a minimum of like three thousand a month or something like that. So sure, and they'll yes. usually mark up the labor too. I I, I have a rental mm -hmm. house in Pensacola, Florida, and I have a regular management company running that. They charge me ten percent of the gross rents, and I and and twenty percent over anything that, that work that they have to arrange. They they get, a, yeah. get paid for that too. So sure. uh, yeah, management can be expensive. It That's can be. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot that goes into it. Andy, let me ask you this. Uh, what does the future of mobile home park investing look like? And how do you see mobile home parks fitting in with the direction the economy is going? Uh, people have been flashing the re recession sign, uh, saying that that may happen in the next few years here. Inflation is is, you know, pretty high right now. Uh, how, do, how do mobile home parks fit in? Well, again, the types of parks that we do, occupy a space somewhere near the bottom of the housing market. Okay, so we don't have problems staying full. Back in the crash of 08, uh, our parks did great. In fact, we probably ended up with a better class of tenants because so many people were moving down the tenant ladder. You know, people that used to rent a house moved into an apartment, people that were in an apartment moved into a mobile home. Uh, so we did quite well there. Uh, what I like to tell people is that if you look at the cost of construction today, now I'm in California. Here, if you wanted to stick build something, probably be around $300 per square foot, could be more. I think the national average is about $200 per square foot. Um, you can get a mobile home. Right now, you can buy a brand new mobile home for uh, $50,000. It's almost 1,000 square feet. That's like $50 a square foot. Installed, maybe it would be $60 a square foot. Now, if you're buying a mobile home park and throughout the South, it's not that hard to find a park at $10,000 to $20,000 a space. So if you had an empty space at $10,000 and put a brand new $50,000 home in there, $60,000 home, you'd be in at $70,000 a door. Now, if you're trying to do apartments, apartments start at $100,000 a door, and that's for a crappy one. Uh, you're going to be at $200,000 a door before you know it. And you're comparing that to mobile homes that are 50 or $60,000 a door for brand new. You know, if you're doing used like we do, you're at $30,000 a door or $40,000 a door. I see it as that, that in many ways, the, the middle-class dream, the American dream of owning a home is going away. And everybody likes a good economy and oh, the real estate market's booming. Well, think of all the people that grew up in small towns that are being priced out of their own home market that'll never own a home there because the prices have gone up so much between investors and people leaving big cities and moving to these smaller towns and so forth. It's happening everywhere. And so people that dreamed of owning a home may never own a home in the traditional sense. And so you're gonna see more and more people moving to things like this because it's a, an alternative that makes sense. In these markets where we work in traditionally the South and the Midwest, what can you get for five or $600 a month? Maybe you're gonna get a section eight apartment. You got people above and below you and on both sides of you and you gotta walk down the stairs and go hundred feet to get to your car. Or for the same money, you could own a mobile home that in the South probably has 30 to 50 feet between you and your neighbor. You can plant a little garden if you want. You can have a pet sometimes. Uh, you can put your, you know, truck your, park your truck right by the front door. And so for many people, this is a much better alternative than apartment living. And, you know, we're, we're priced well below renting a house in most, most cases. So I see a future for mobile home parks. 
I went to a um, <clears throat> I went to a manufacturer's show of mobile homes in Georgia a while back, and they're working on homes now that mobile homes that are meant to sit on the ground rather than you know three four feet up like mobile homes do. They take the axles off and somehow set them on the ground, and I'm not sure how that works, but it's one step in instead of three or four steps in, and they build them in a way where they don't look like mobile homes. They're essentially modulars. They put three exterior doors instead of two. Every mobile home park has two doors. You think about every house as a front door, a back door, and a garage door. So they're doing all these little things, and there are literally people that are building subdivisions with this type of housing today because it's so much cheaper than stick building. Now, that's all been put on hold since it takes so long to get homes, but that'll all come back. These markets, as you know, they work in cycles. We're in a crazy time right now. And I can't imagine it's going to last like this forever. It will cycle at some point. And when it does, I'm hoping things will turn somewhat back to normal. Of course, as these manufacturers realize people will pay so much for these homes, maybe they won't want to go back. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm worried about. Uh, you, you go to place an order for these new homes and they, they tell you, hey, sorry, we can't tell you what the price is going to be. You know, And then you, you keep getting emails that it's going, uh, going higher and higher. So yeah, it's a crazy time right now. I agree. Um, Andy, if our listeners would like to get a hold of you or CCI Investments, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, uh, of course, my phone number is area code 925-323-2134. My website, which I would always uh, uh, advise you to go see because it's one of the best websites you'll find on mobile home park investing, is called mobile-home-parks-com for sale, run together as one word, .com. And uh, you can reach me that way as well. You'll learn an awful lot about mobile home parks. I go into well versus uh, city water, septic versus city sewer, park-owned home versus tenant-owned home, and lots of other good stuff that you just can't find that information anywhere. And I have my new book I just uh, published. It's on Amazon. Um, perhaps you can put a link on your on your site, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. I can send it to you if you don't have it. And this is represents the best knowledge that I have obtained in 45 years in real estate and 18 years in the mobile home park business. And it's not very thick. So, you know, it's not a big read. It's all good information. That is fantastic, Andy. Uh, if you had one more tip before we sign off for people interested in mobile home park investing, uh, what would that tip be? Be realistic in your expectations. You know, the, the idea of this perfect park that you're going to find that has all these nice, you know, these nice old retired couples living in their double wides in there. Uh, there are parks out there like that, but I don't think those people are selling them. You know, it's so hard to find a replacement park today that the people that have nice parks don't want to let them go. So what that leaves, that, and of course, you've got big institutional buyers that are gobbling up inventory like crazy. So what that leaves is the stuff that they don't like. And that's small towns, well or septic, park-owned homes, vacancies. And so if you want to be in this business, you have to buy a park. And to buy a park, you have to find something that you can actually buy and make work. And it may not fit that perfect mold that, you, that you've been taught is the only way to go. Uh, you need to expand your thinking. That's what we're about. We make great money with, with parks that have park-owned homes. Well and septic are very expensive. So that's something that, that people don't ever consider. Now, if your tenants are paying it direct, great. 
but a lot of times the park ends up paying water and or septic, uh, water and or sewer, and they are very expensive uh, when delivered by the city, you know. Uh, so you got to look at all these things with an open mind. What matters here, I tell people now, are you in the business of owning mobile home parks in big cities or are you in the business of making money with mobile home parks? And I said, well, making money. Well, okay, if it's not in a big city, then you should look at it, right? So that, that would be my best advice. Ex expand your scope a little bit. Don't pigeonhole yourself into this little narrow box. You may never find anything that'll work. That, that's great, Andy. Thank you so much for all your insights and thank you for, uh, for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, that's it for today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Goodbye. Thank you. Hey, are you getting value out of this show? If so, would you mind please going over to iTunes and leaving the show a quick five-star review? I have a goal of hitting over 100 five-star reviews by the end of 2021. And it would mean the absolute world to me if you could help contribute to that. Thanks ahead of time for making my day with your five-star review of the show.